lift up our praise to you, most worthy one. Church, would you give him your whole heart this morning? Yeah. That praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Oh, let it rise. Let praise arise. Yeah. We see your name in the dark and it changes everything. We sing with all we are and we claim your victory. Let it rise. Down every wall, watch the giants fall. We cannot survive when we please you. The God of faith who's on our side, forever lift him high. With all creation crying out, we pray. Would you tell him, church?
your faithfulness, Lord. We enter into your presence, Lord. Full of faith. Isaiah it is written that surely he took up our pain 
and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Church, will you receive that right now? The Holy Spirit invites you to receive this here and now. to your grace here in this moment. I hear the Savior say Thy strength indeed is small Child of weakness watch and pray Find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all All to him I owe on everything. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and 
That is well with our soul. Still know 
Holy Spirit says, fear not, for you belong to me. And I hold your future in my hands. And nothing can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So says the Lord, I invite you to be unafraid. To lift up your eyes to the hills from whence your help will come. And to remember that I am preparing a place for you. Beyond these light and momentary afflictions, there is a great weight of eternal glory. God says, rest in these things, for you are mine, and I am yours. God, we worship you this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your living presence in our midst. God, we thank you for the gift of worship that lifts our spirits. And Father, we come to you this morning crying out to you, God, for the turmoil that is in our land, that is in our world. God, we pray for for people all along the Gulf Coast, for Louisiana, for Mississippi, for Alabama. God, that even now, as as that storm approaches, Lord, even now you are sovereign. Deliver, rescue your people. Abate the storm, God. Deliver. You are, command the wind and the waves. We cry out to you. God, we pray and thank you for more than 100,000 people rescued from Afghanistan. God, we thank you for soldiers who, of their own free will, volunteered to go and serve. God, we know that the day is coming when you're going to beat all the swords into plowshares. And there will be peace. We rejoice in that. God, we cry out to you for for healing from this virus in our land. In body, yes, God. Oh, we pray for healing in body. You are our healer. And God, we pray for healing in our spirits, that our fear and our anger might not overtake us, that we might glorify you in these light and momentary afflictions. We pray for that. God, we thank you for the gift of worship that reminds us that eternity is so close and that you are our Savior and King. We praise and worship you this morning together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, would you take just a moment and greet everybody around you. Make them feel welcome this morning in Christ's house.
Check one, two. Oh, it's on. Good morning. Welcome to the last week of summer. Okay, wait, 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 wait. There's a really fun thing that happened this week. Two fun things. One, I got older. Two, the pumpkin spice latte came back. Now, you can hate on it all you want, and I'm fine with that. But you have to try the pumpkin cold brew, okay? It's really good. Pumpkin cold brew, extra pumpkin foam, no ice. It'll change your life. I'm here to give you guys a couple announcements today. Uh, Starting next week, not this week, next week is going to be culture and uh, Forged and Impact are kicking off. So 5.30 p.m. September 8th is our Back to School Bash, and it's going to be a campus-wide event. We're going to have inflatables, food. Um, If you like crumble cookie, a crumble cookie will be there. That's a surprise. Don't tell anyone I told you. But we're excited for that. Uh, So ages uh, first grade all the way up through 12th grade, we're going to have a big event for that. Starting this week is our MOPS kickoff. So if you'd like more information about MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers, it's, there's a table in the foyer. Uh, there's just a time and place for you guys to get connected there. Our city community picnic is going to be on September 12th from 11.30 to 4. Remember, we uh, postponed our picnic, and the city asked us to partner with them, so we're going to partner with them. It's going to be at the Expo Center. We're really excited for that. And then also some big news Kind of. Uh, We are going to be moving to one online gathering for live streaming. It's going to be our 9.30 a.m. gathering. We're not going to live stream the other two. We just want to come together as a community online to connect, and uh, this is the best way for us to do that. So if you guys could open your Bibles up today to Hebrews chapter 12. 11. 11. 11. He's in charge. (laughs) Another day older, but I can assure you he's no more mature. In case you were wondering, so that's uh, that's happened. Thank you, Ty. Yeah, thanks, and welcome to everybody who's joining us online. Uh, we're thrilled with some of the developments we have going forward online. We're gonna have some multiple camera angles and all that, make it easier for you if you can't be here in person. So welcome to you. And hey, church, um, <laughs> I, I I stood there in worship all morning. Uh, let me give you a little background. Um, Pastor Weston and I don't consult on what songs he's going to lead us in worship. Uh, that is something that I leave to his prayer. I say, Weston, I want you to pray, ask God where, where we're going to go in terms of worship. And so many times it's amazing how God speaks to him about exactly what I'm going to be talking about on Sunday morning. And this morning that was maybe the most intense it's ever been. You're going to see in a moment when we open God's word together. But we serve a living God who's in our midst, amen. He's alive and he's moving uh, in our midst. Before we open the word together, I just want to thank us again as a church again this week because of our faithfulness in giving. There's things that we're able to do that glorify God. This last week, we prevented a family of five from ending up on the street homeless. We were able to bridge them into a new place that they can remain in, so kept that family from being on the street. We ministered to a family who only had one vehicle for dad to get to work, and that vehicle broke down. We stepped in as a church. And then even more significantly, um, in Uganda, where this COVID virus has the, the countryside, like in most countries, in an intense lockdown. A lockdown is much harder in the third world, can I just tell you that? 
And they're in an intense lockdown that's even threatening food supplies. And through the ministry of Mercy Reigns International that uh, our very own Larry and Charlotte Travis here at MRCC lead in Uganda, we as a church were able to step in and provide three large food distributions to the area where the Mercy Reigns schools are, serving several thousand people over the midst of these two months of this lockdown. So hallelujah. Yeah. And And... And church, we're free to do that because we as a congregation are so faithful in giving. So $12,000 goes a long way to feed people in, in Uganda. And your missions team assessed that situation, recommended it, your board approved it. And, and so we're reaching out even in the midst of all this. It's good stuff. Thank you for making all that possible. Grab your Bible if you would this morning. Open it to Hebrews chapter 11. A dozen people have asked me how I'm feeling this morning after my adventure a month ago. I ran four times, made it to the gym three times this week, so I'm getting better. I'm 100% better. And I also want to let you know that Carolyn Harding, who we've been praying hard for over these last two weeks, is also turning the corner. She's making the recovery. She's, yeah, 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 yeah. Amen. So, and, and to others that we are praying for, we will continue uh, to remain uh, in prayer. Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. As we've ended this summer, we've done a series of standalone messages. Right after Labor Day, we're going to move back into a teaching series. But um, this morning, God wants to talk to us about something very specific. And let me begin by asking you this. What are the kinds of gifts that you personally really enjoy receiving? Uh, all of us have kind of our preferences. Nobody really wants underwear for Christmas. Can you just say amen? I mean, but we all have things that, that we, like I really love receiving books. Books is a big deal. Love when somebody gives me sounders gear. Uh, that's a big deal. What, what are some of the things that you really enjoy receiving? That on your birthday or, or, or some other occasion when gifts are given, you're like, oh, that's awesome. I, you, you light up when you receive that. And as you're thinking about that, let me ask you a question that we don't often ask ourselves that's related, and that's this. What do you think it is that most delights God that we can give Him? What are the gifts that most warm His heart in the same way that ours are warmed by certain kind of gifts? What sorts of gifts do you think God particularly delights in? When we're young in our faith, when we're, it's natural for us to mainly go to God for what we want and we need. But as we grow in our faith, as we mature in Christ, we increasingly find ourselves saying, God, what do you want from me? How can I please you? How can I delight you? How can I thrill you? Because I know how much you love you, me, and I'm just trying to give something back. A few years ago, I asked for something specific for Christmas for my family, and, and that is a new satchel. Now, when I come to work and I got my computer, my books, and all that kind of stuff, I carry a satchel. And it's very important to my masculinity that that be a leather-beaten Indiana Jones-type satchel, right? It can't be anything else, right? I'm almost 60 years old. If I'm carrying something around with me, it can't bear any resemblance to the thing which shall not be named in this moment, all right? It just can't. And so I said to my wife, I said, honey, she said, what do you want for Christmas? I said, man, this is what I'd really like. And I laid it out. I said, it's got to be leather. It's got to be brown. It's got to look beaten up. It must say man. 
It, it must not say the other thing, right? So I thought, okay, I, I can't possibly make this any clearer. But somewhere between me saying that and Christmas, my wife and my adult son got together and shopped and talked themselves into buying me something else. Let me describe it for you. It was made of nylon. It had like a suede trim in a soft gray. I have no shoes that match. It was mostly white and trimmed with gray. And, and when Christmas morning came and I opened this under the tree, I was displeased. I was vexed. I, I made no bones about it. I said, honey, I love you, but no. You will never, ever see me carry this anywhere again. I can't carry this. I have no shoes to match. I just can't do it. Now, here's the end of the story, is that that bag, that carry-all, that thing still exists. There's a person who's carried that now for almost five years, and they're listening this morning online in Sisters, Oregon. Rhonda's grandmother loves it. She absolutely loves it. She uses it all the time. There's a difference between giving God something we want to give him and giving God what really thrills him. And this morning, our Father wants to talk to us about that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can give Him a Christmas present, but it won't please Him without faith. Faith is the gift that thrills our Father's heart. Now, Paul's going to tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that these three remain faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. Absolutely. So that's a subject for another time. But here in Hebrews chapter 11, God is going to go to great length to let us know that he wants a leather satchel, that he wants faith, that without faith it is impossible to please him. In other words, he wants us to understand how much he loves your faith and mine. Now, for some people, faith is, is just a clever way to get what we want. I love the story about the little boy who was saying his prayers before bedtime with mom and grandma. They were at grandma's house, and he prayed, and he said, God bless mom and dad and my dog and my cat and my fish and my brother and sister. And then suddenly he raised his voice and was nearly shouting, and he finished by saying, and God, please give me a red speeder bicycle for my birthday. Amen. When the prayer was over, mom pulled him onto her lap. She said, honey... You don't have to shout when you pray. God isn't hard of hearing. Little boy said, I know, but Grandma is. <laughs> Sometimes we reduce faith to just a way to get what we want or what we think we want. Faith that God delights in is, is different from that. For some people, faith is a bungee jump. They think faith is risk. Without risk, there's no faith. And they have this idea that we live by faith only when we take wild chances. Still others, 
think that faith is always being positive and upbeat, even when it comes to grief and tragedy. Some people superstitiously think that faith is putting a Star of David on your car or sending seed faith money to a televangelist on TV. And, and finally, some think that just saying, I believe in God is faith. But the Bible paints a different picture. The scripture teaches us that faith is when we act on God's word, even though we don't know how it will work out, at least in the short term. When we act on God's word, even though we don't know how it will work out in the short term, and it pleases God because it means that we know his character. It means that we understand ourselves to be not just numbers on his ledger, but sons and daughters in his heart and in his home. And faith is what helps us live today in light of what's coming in light of forever, in light of eternity, which, dear friends, is just around the corner from every one of us. <laughs> one heartbeat away from every one of us. So let's turn to Hebrews 11 together and spend the next 20 minutes listening to God, talking to us about the reality of faith. Because without it, it's impossible for me to please God. And I find increasingly as I walk with Jesus that that's what I want to do. <laughs> That's what I want to do. So Hebrews chapter 11 begins with this subject and it just focuses on it all the way to the end. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11 of Hebrews. The Bible says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now he's going to give a long list of ancients. When he uses that word, he's thinking of great people of faith, believers, the people of God. This is what they were commended for. Sure of what we hope for. Certain of what we do not see. That first phrase, sure of what we hope for, it means confident that we will receive what we haven't received yet. The word hope in a biblical context is stronger than the English word hope. We don't really have an equivalent word in English. The Greek word is elpis. And it means a thing which hasn't happened yet, but will. There's no doubt about it. Sure of what we hope for. And faith isn't what we do after we have results, but what we do before we see results in our lives, in our world, in our situation, our circumstances. There's a brilliant picture of this over in Daniel chapter 3. You remember the story that the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, a wicked king, had set up a, a golden image and commanded everybody to worship it. Now there's some real background to that story because Israel was sent into exile in Babylon by God. It was a discipline and had said to Israel, when you go to Babylon, seek the welfare of that land. Jeremiah brought that unpopular message. They killed him for it. But God said to Israel, when you go into that wicked land, seek the welfare. And so the, the, the Hebrews that were there were cooperating until a line was crossed. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar set up a golden image. He said, I want you to worship this. They said, well, no, no can do. We can't do that. And upon threat of death, the king confronts them. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three young Hebrew men, say this to him. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, king said, don't worship, we're going to throw you in the furnace. They said, if we're thrown into the furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, 
Boy, that's a mouthful. Even if he doesn't, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. In other words, king, we choose faith. We have heard what God has said when it was unpopular. We know what God says in this specific circumstance, and so we're going to stand on that. We are going to act as if what he says is most true. And in the short term, if the circumstances don't turn out the way we want or the way we think, that doesn't change a thing. Because God has spoken, and we believe him. That's what faith is, sure of what we hope for. And the same idea is there in that other phrase, certain of what we do not see. Friends, when, when God makes us a promise, he is thrilled when we believe in his promise. In the same way that you are pleased when your kids believe what you tell them in love. When they believe what you tell them because you know more than they do about some things. You're thrilled when they trust that, when they lean into that. In the same way, God is thrilled with our faith when we are sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see, because he said it, because he gave us a promise. A couple of years ago, I was flying into Seattle, and it was incredibly foggy, foggier than I've ever seen. And then the pilot said, we're going to begin the descent. We began the descent. I mean, the fog didn't clear. You usually expect to kind of come out of the fog bank. We didn't. I'm looking out the window, and I'm going, wow, this is as foggy as I've ever seen it. And I was trying to get a glimpse of lights on the ground, you know, or something kind of peering out the window, when all of a sudden, smack, we landed. We hit the runway. And I mean, everybody in the plane, oh, you know, in the plane, because none of us had any idea we were that close to the ground. We were just looking out there at the fog. And I'll always remember it because the pilot came on right afterwards. He says, ladies and gentlemen, you know, welcome to Seattle, Alaska Airlines, the blah, blah, blah. And then he says, I want you to know that you are part of an automatic computer-generated uh, autopilot landing today because of the fog. I just took, let go, and so you got to do that. Wow. <laughs> so nobody's hand was on the wheel. Well, actually, somebody's was, an invisible somebody. And in the same way, God calls us to have faith in him, regardless of how foggy it is when he tells us something, we're meant to trust it. And like a father, like a parent, he's thrilled when we do that. We give him a gift, a precious gift, when we trust him in that way. See, that's what our faith is. It's an expression of our trust, and it means we're getting to know him. Now, if, if you read on through Hebrews 11, we don't have time to go through the whole chapter. We're going to touch on pieces of it. If you go on through Hebrews 11, you're going to find it's filled with stories that illustrate this simple principle. People living by faith, regardless of circumstances in the short term, because they trust the God who gave them a promise. For example, verse 11 of chapter 11, the Bible says, By faith Noah, we know about Noah. By faith Noah, when warned about, catch it, Things not yet seen in holy fear, we talked about the fear of God last week, built an ark to save his family. And by faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Note verse 7, when warned about things not yet seen. Note that he did something about that warning. He took action. He built an ark in the desert, no less. Why? Because God had said so. Noah's faith in what God said pleased the Father. Same idea, verses 8 and 9. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, a place he didn't know, he'd never seen, in a human sense, wasn't even sure it was there. 
But by faith, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Why? Because God said so. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He got there, and nobody walked up and said, here's the title deed, you're good, you're the king, roll on. No, he showed up, looked around, and said, well, God told me this is going to be my home, so I'm just going to pitch my tent here and act like it. That's what faith does. The scripture says he lived like a stranger in a foreign country, lived in tents, as did his sons, Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. When told about something he would later receive, he acted on it. Gang, please hear me this morning, because this this goes right into your Tuesday and your Thursday and your Saturday. When you and me act on God's word, when we take him at his word, we begin to experience him. Let me say that again. You will experience God when you take him at his word. He says, don't do this. You say, okay, I'm not going to do that. He says, go do this. You say, okay, I'm going to go do that. He mixes up a little do and don't together in the same moment, the same situation. You say, okay, I'm going to do that, God, because your way I trust. That is a precious gift we give our father. He doesn't give it to his grandmother in Sisters, Oregon. He keeps it and he treasures it. And he rejoices in it. By the way, if you're wondering, yes, my wife knows I'm talking about this morning. And yes, she laughs about it now too. So she's teaching kids church down the hall. You will experience God when you take him at his word. You know, when I was a new believer, maybe six months old in the Lord, I was in a service station over in Bremerton. And, you know, our, our command had this uh, picnic once a year, big end of summer picnic. And there would be a couple thousand, uh, yeah, counting families, maybe 1,500, 2,000 people would come out. Big, big picnic. And I'm a new believer and I'm just trying to find any way I can to share my faith. And, and so I noticed on the, uh, on the posters for the command picnic, they said, we're going to have a talent contest, right? Sign up for the talent contest. Do you play an instrument? Do you sing? Do you do art? Do you dance? Whatever it is, sign up for the talent contest. And I heard the still, small voice of God say to my heart, Greg, I want you to sign up for the singing contest and sing a Christian song at the picnic. I thought to myself, oh, no, that's a bad, get behind me, Satan. You know what I mean? (laughs) Guys, I I never sang in a public thing, at choir in middle school, but I'd never done anything like that, never. But it wouldn't go away. (laughs) Just this nag in my heart. And, you know, I finally thought, oh, my goodness, you know, gosh, God, am I going to believe you? This is going to be a train wreck. But I said, I can't ask. Okay, God, I'm going to do what you said. And I signed up for the talent contest. My wife says, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, you know. I feel like God wants me to do this. And, and, and in my human mind, I thought, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to fail epically, but they're gonna, people are going to hear the name of Jesus and maybe somebody somewhere, you know how you do. And so I signed up and went to this thing. Gosh, I practiced to death. You know, this was cassette tape in the garage days. Practice, 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 right? And finally showed up to it. My knees are knocking. I'm terrified. There's 1,500 people sitting out here. It's my turn. They turn on the music. I'm step up to the mic. Ah, what's going to happen? Somehow, I got through that song. Afterwards, I sat down. I said, okay, God, I did what you said. I don't know what's going to come of it. Wow. I won the contest. (laughs) They called me back up. You win. Crowd applause. Yeah, best stuff. Sent us off on a dinner cruise. It was awesome. I said, oh, yeah, I knew that all along. Sure. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. No, I didn't. 
But, you know, gang, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Because what I learned from that is, hey, when God calls you to do something, if you don't understand, if you don't know, whatever, if he's calling you, do it. That's faith, and it pleases him, and it thrills him. Now, <laughs> you know, don't say, oh, I'm going to enter a singing contest now because you think you want to. No, 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 he's got to hear from God on this stuff. He's never told me to do that again, by the way. <laughs> you know, never. So you get my point. The scripture calls us to trust what God said. Let me ask you this as we turn through the middle of our time together this morning. Where is God calling you to believe him before the results? Where is he calling you to believe him without the results? In your marriage? In your financial life? In your job? In your community? In your church? Where is he? In in the next picnic? (laughs) In your struggle with sin? Where is God calling you to take him at his word and act on it? We experience God when we obey him in faith. That's how it happens. That's when it happens. That's the vehicle through which it happens. Because see, his whole agenda in our lives is to teach us faith. There's a whole backstory to this I don't have time to get into, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith orients us to the future, to eternity, to our eternal destiny. Faith looks forward And that's what makes all the difference now. Let me say that again. Faith looks forward, and because it's looking forward, it makes all the difference now. Describing Abraham's faith, the Bible says, verse 10 of chapter 11, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was saying to himself, God's taking me to a promised land. My eyes are fixed on that, so I'm going to make this long journey from Ur of the Chaldees to what we know today as Israel. I'm going to park my tent there even though other people occupy the land. I'm going to do this stuff because I'm looking forward. Are your eyes fixed forward on eternity? On the promises God has made you about eternal things? When your eyes are fixed forward, you're able to navigate everything in the meantime. That's what Abraham was commended for. And then, because he's already talked about Noah and Abraham, and he's going to talk about a whole bunch more in the rest of chapter 11, in verses 13 to 17, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say this, all these people, the ones I've talked about, the ones I'm going to talk about, all these people were still living by faith when they died. This is where it gets deep. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. They said, you know what? This is not my home. This is a temporary place for me. I'm headed somewhere else. I'm looking forward. I'm on a journey. They were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. I love this. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And he has prepared a city for them. Faith looks forward and it makes all the difference now. Because we're looking forward. I remember when I started learning to ride motorcycle all the time, you know, young man. And, uh, you know, you get out there and it's a little scary, especially going into big curves. But what you learn very quick about motorcycle riding is when you go into the curve, you don't look ahead of you. You look ahead to the end of the curve. And what happens is then your body just kind of naturally leans and you go through. Pretty soon you lose your fear of curves. Because you know as you come up on them, instead of looking right in front of you, kind of like you do in a car, 
You look ahead. Oh, yeah, okay, the curve's coming out over there. And what just naturally happens is you flow. In the same way, when we look forward in faith, it changes how we navigate now. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called. He's pleased. We give him a gift that thrills and delights him. Sometimes a young couple will say to me, I don't think we're ready to have kids yet. Newsflash. Nobody's ready to have kids, okay? The person who waits till they're 40 and says, now I'm ready, they're not ready. You don't really feel ready ahead of time. You step out and you say, wow, okay, God, help me, here we go. That's what faith does. It looks forward. Faith isn't what we feel, it's who we believe. And because we're looking forward, people of faith live in anticipation of the life beyond this one. Look again, verses 16 and 17. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God has prepared a city for them. Therefore, God has prepared a a home for us. People of faith look forward, and they don't live in fear of what might happen down here because they know that when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else will be added. They have faith. We're not afraid to be a servant because we know that by serving, we store up treasures for ourselves in heaven, like Jesus said in Matthew 6. We don't get too caught up in worldly affairs because we know our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior. That go on and on. Looking forward in faith changes how we live now. And it thrills God when we do it. Let me share a sad story with you. In February of 2013, a country music star you may know by the name of Mindy McCready stepped out on her front porch, shot her dog, then put a gun to her own head and killed herself. And in her suicide note, She said that she couldn't survive the death of her former boyfriend, David Wilson, or the loss of custody of her children as a result of court decrees. She said, I can't do it. I can't take it. I can't live now with this. And so she took her own life. But church, you and I know that the plain and simple truth is that thousands, even millions of people have experienced those kinds of losses and survived them and overcome them and even found enough faith to put away their self-pity instead of killing themselves. But you can't do that if you're not looking forward. You can't do that if all you can think about is right now. Faith lifts our eyes to what God has promised and enables us to live in the now because we're looking forward. That's what thrills God. It has dramatic power in our everyday life. You'd be amazed at how little the stuff on the news bugs you when your eyes are fixed forward. In Mark chapter 4, we're almost done, there's, there's a moment that illustrates this. Let me help you remember it. Jesus and the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee, a huge lake, and the Bible says, verse 37, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I think of the song we sang, the wind and the waves still know his name. Wow, God did that. But Jesus was in the uh, stern, sleeping on a cushion. Catch this. The disciples woke him, 
and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Think about where their heads are, where their hearts are. Think about what they're feeling. Think about what they're afraid of. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Does it sometimes seem like maybe Jesus is asleep in your life? When it does, you can get scared. You can get angry. You can accuse him. But follow what happens in this story. The scripture says that Jesus stood up, rebuked the wind and the waves, commanded them to die down, and it became completely calm. And then, here's the real point. Then he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You've seen me do so much. You know I've called you. You know the promises I've made you. Do you still have no faith? In other words, here's what the Lord's saying. If I'm asleep, it's because there's nothing to be afraid of. When it seems like Jesus is asleep in your life, do you accuse him and get angry and get fearful? Or do you say, if he's sleeping, there must not be anything to be afraid of. That was what Jesus wanted for his disciples. That's why he says, do you still have no faith? Hey, if I'm crashed on a cushion, it's because there's nothing to be afraid of. Now, gang, faith like that, what he's wanting for them, faith like that doesn't occur in a vacuum. It is a response to what God says Do you still have no faith? It isn't just positive thinking. It's what happens when God tells me something that I don't necessarily understand and I choose to believe it. So there's a lot of chatter out there. Just have faith and you'll be rich. Just have faith and this will happen. Just have faith. That's not what biblical faith. Biblical faith is when God says something, we say, okay, I'm in. I love what the Reverend Vadi Bakum says. become my favorite quote of 2021. He said this, The Lord told me, is no substitute for the Bible says. Because <laughs> it isn't. Does the Lord tell us stuff? Yes, always in accord with his word. <laughs> if you want to hear him, get over your hang-ups and open his word. <laughs> your woo-woo feeling in a moment is no substitute for the living word of God. And you won't be able to walk in faith if you don't know what he says. You'll just make stuff up and flim-flam around in circles and get nowhere. Which lots of people do in our day and age. And then they call it faith. So faith isn't positive thinking. To put it another way, gang, faith isn't positive thinking. It's serious listening. What has Jesus told me? Okay, I'm going to believe that. What has God told me? Okay, I'm going to stand on that. The, the, the alternative is, is disaster. On July 14, 1997, 22-year-old Eric Barcia went to do something he had been anticipating with his buddies for a long time, and that was to, to do a bungee jump. So he got there in Springfield, Virginia, over the gorge, tied up, and jumped. Him and his buddies did this on their own, and what happened was that the cord was longer than the distance between the bridge and the bottom of the gorge. So he jumped, And he died. Why? Because he never got around to measuring the distance. In the same way, many people never get around to seriously listening to God. 
So they throw their faith at a bunch of slogans and made-up mystical mumbo-jumbo mythology nonsense and crash and burn when reality hits. But those who seriously listen, they go, oh, right, so the bridge is this far, I tie my bungee this far. God, I'm going to trust your word, and you'll see me through. Friends, please understand, we're almost done. Faith isn't a leap in the dark. Faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is when we leap because God says so. Faith is when we leap because God says, yeah, this is what I want you to do right now, Greg. Faith is a conviction that nothing is impossible with God. Faith says, I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I know God's told me, so that's what I'm going to do. Here's what it looks like practically. Five minutes and we're done. If you're taking notes, write these down. What faith looks like practically. Number one, faith is a turning from sin. Faith is when we say, God, when you call something sin, I believe it's better for me to turn away from it than to go with the flow. The scripture tells us in verse 25 of chapter 11 about Moses, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. All pleasure is not sin, but that which God has prohibited is because in the end it's not really pleasure. It's self-destruction. God's word defines sin, not our culture, not our generation, not our own understanding. And when we have faith in that, we experience God's power. Faith isn't pretending sin doesn't matter. It's believing that it does, because God says so. So faith is a turning from sin. Second, faith, hear me, friends, is a believing in the grace of Jesus despite your failures. It's a believing in the grace. of You know, that thief on the cross, we read about him there in Luke chapter 23. That, that thief on the cross had a lot of reasons to believe that he'd gone too far, that there was too much water under the bridge, that there was no way back. And in fact, the other thief felt exactly like that. It's over. What's happened is too much. But the one thief didn't. Somewhere in his heart, he found the willingness to say to Jesus, I believe. I believe. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's what faith does. Faith is a persevering despite your failures. Proverbs tells us in chapter 24, verse 16, that a righteous man falls seven times, but he keeps getting up. Why? Because he's got a strong will and he's self-disciplined? No, because he keeps reaching for the never-ending grace of God in Christ. That's what faith does. It recognizes sin, and then it perseveres despite failure. The third thing of four, faith perseveres with God and one another. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. Paul writes to the Romans, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 of Romans, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give them eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there'll be wrath and anger. Perseverance is the hallmark of genuine faith. I, I, I'm st I've been allowed by you and God to be your pastor for almost 15 years now. And in that period of time, there are people who have been serving in the same ministry of their church the whole way. The whole way. And I walk by them in the hallway or I see them in town and I go, you are awesome. 
A, you've been putting up with me for a long time. But even more than that, you continue to serve. You persevere. How God thrills to that. My wife's been teaching that little kid's church over the course of our lives for 35 years now. Still going strong. Sometimes I sit back and I go, just yesterday we were talking about it. I said, man, your reward is going to be unbelievable. Because you know how to persevere and you do it in faith. It's kind of funny because, you know, she has those kids at that age for a couple of years and six months after they leave her class, they forget who she is. (laughs) They love her to death, right? She's the greatest thing ever when they're four and then when they're six, they're like, who are you? And she just laughs because her faith in serving them is so great. She knows. She's looking forward. She knows what's coming. And then the last one. The last one, and that's where we finish this morning. Faith is when you remember that you and me are part of a bigger picture. This whole discussion of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews ends in verses 39 and 40 when the writer says this. These were all commended for their faith. All these people who did stuff because of what God said. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. For God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Gang, Our lives in Christ are part of a huge story, a huge picture. And it all fits together at the end. And the fullness of your reward comes in concert with all the rest of us. This story that God is telling in the world links Abraham to to David, to, to, to Jeremiah, to Jesus, to Paul, to Peter, to you, to me, to your neighbor, to the guy down the street, to the lady at work. It links us all. And the fullness of the story is realized in that bigger picture. None of these received everything they thought they'd been promised on the way. God had planned something better so only together with us would they be made perfect. That's the message. That's the message. You know, one of my favorite films, maybe it's your favorite, and this is where we end this morning. One of my favorite movies, maybe you've seen it, is Mr. Holland's Opus. Have you seen Mr. Holland's Opus? It's a story about a high school teacher who dreams of composing the Great American Symphony. In his youth, he takes a job as a music teacher at a local high school, you know, just to make ends meet so he can write this great symphony. But you know, life has a way of happening. There's driver's ed in the summer, kids that come along into his life, struggles and challenges with health and other issues, and the years go by. And the great American symphony doesn't get written until finally he's at retirement age. Spoiled in the movie if you haven't seen it, but he's at retirement age and, and it just kind of rubs salt in the wound. <laughs> not only has he not written the symphony and now he's retiring as a music teacher, but the district is cutting the music program. <laughs> it's not even going to be there anymore. He thinks to himself, wow. And as he makes his last walk out of the high school though, he discovers something he didn't know. And that is that in the gym, in the auditorium, there's an assembly of hundreds and hundreds of people from every class that he's ever taught over 40 years. And they've formed an orchestra that says class of this year, class of that year, class of the other year. And they, he walks into the auditorium and everybody stands and applauds. And one of his former students says, we know you've always wanted to write a great symphony. I love this. We're your symphony." Every life you've touched, we're your symphony. And we would love it 
if you would understand that and then come up and lead us in the symphony that he wrote. Yeah. See, that's what it's going to be like in heaven. I can't wait to watch my wife. These kids are going to come from everywhere, mobs of them, 40 years of them. And they're going to say, we're your symphony. And when you live in faith, and when I live in faith, that same story is worked out in our lives. So let me ask you again, where's God calling you to act in faith on his word? Maybe you've been walking in sin and you know it's wrong. You haven't believed in his word enough to say, I need to, I've got to turn away. You can do that this morning. Maybe in your marriage, you've said, you know what, things are drifting and God, it's not good and we're struggling and I'm ready to give up. God says what's impossible with men is possible with God. Will you believe that? Maybe it's in your work life. Maybe it's in your health. Wherever it is, where is God calling you to act in faith on his word? Now, if you say to yourself, I don't know because I don't know his word, well, okay, and we know where we need to go. You need to start listening. But wherever he is speaking to your heart, just like he called me to sing at that picnic, we experience his power when we respond. Maybe you're here and you've never known God as your father. Here's the gospel. It's very simple. The Bible says, to whoever receives Jesus Christ, John 1, verses 12 and 13, God gives the right to become his child. You can be adopted right here, right now. You can walk out of this room with God as your father. All you have to be willing to do is receive Jesus. And you can do it right here and right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes together. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the call to faith. God, help us to understand how it thrills you when we give you our faith, when we trust your word. And if you're sitting here and you've never received God as your father, you can in this moment, you simply trust his word about Jesus. You receive him as your savior. You can say to God in this moment in your heart, he can hear you. Say, God, I receive Jesus as my savior. I want to know you as my father. And the instant you say that, the Bible says you're born again. And a whole new life begins. It can begin for you right here and right now. God, for those of us who know you as Father, teach us to give you the gift of our faith. Send us out into this world looking forward because of what you have said to us. We pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Here we go again. Um, But faith looks forward. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon. Mm -hmm.